Section 12 of The Oakdale Affair by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Bridge's companions and Willie Case looked their surprise at his mention of a bear, but the gypsy girl only nodded her head as she had occasionally during his narrative. "'I believe you,' said the girl. "'It is not easy to deceive Giava. Now I tell you, this here,' she pointed toward the dead man, "'he my father, he bad man, steal, kill, drink, fight, but always good to Giava, good to no one else but Beppo. He afraid Beppo. Even our people drive us out. He, my father, so bad man. We wander round country, make little money when Beppo dance, make lucked money when he steal. Two days he come no home. I go last night look for him. Sometimes he too drunk come home. He sleep squeebs. I go there. I find him dead. He have feet six, seven year. He die fit. Beppo stay guard him. I carry him home. Giova strong. He no very large man. Beppo come too. I bury him. No one know he leave here. Pretty soon I go away with Beppo. Why tell people he dead? Who care? Make lot trouble for Giova, whose heart already ache plenty. No one love him. Only Beppo and Giova. No one love Giova. Only Beppo. But some day Beppo he kill Giova. Now he is dead. For Beppo very large. Strong bear. Fierce bear, ugly bear. Even Java, who love Beppo, is afraid Beppo. Beppo devil bear. Beppo got evil eye. Well, said Bridge, I guess, Java, that you and we are in the same boat. We haven't any of us done anything so very bad, but it would be embarrassing to have to explain to the police what we have done. Here he glanced at the Oskaloosa kid and the girl standing beside the youth. Suppose we form a defensive alliance, eh? We'll help you, and you help us. What do you say? All right, acquiesced Java. But what we do with these? And she jerked her thumb toward Willie Case. If he don't behave, we'll feed him to Beppo, suggested Bridge. Willie shook in his boots, figuratively speaking, for in reality he shook upon his bare feet. Let me go, he wailed, and I won't tell nobody nothing. No, said Bridge, you don't go until we're safely out of here. I wouldn't trust that vanishing chin of yours as far as I could throw Beppo by the tail. Wait, exclaimed the Oskaloosa kid. I have it. What have you? asked Bridge. Listen, cried the boy excitedly. This boy has been offered a hundred dollars for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the men who robbed and murdered in Oakdale last night. I'll give him a hundred dollars if he'll go away and say nothing about us. Look here, son, said Bridge. Every time you open your mouth, you put your foot in it. The less you advertise the fact that you have a hundred dollars, the better off you'll be. I don't know how you come by so much wealth, but in view of several things which occurred last night, I should not be crazy, were I you, to have to make a true income tax return. Somehow I have faith in you, but I doubt if any minion of the law would be similarly impressed. The Oskaloosa kid appeared hurt and crestfallen. Java shot a suspicious glance at him. The other girl involuntarily drew away. Bridge noted the act and shook his head. No, he said, we mustn't judge one another hastily, Miss Prim, and I take it you are, Miss Prim. The girl made a half gesture of denial, started to speak, hesitated, and then resumed, I would rather not say who I am, please, 
she said. Well, said the man, let's take one another at face value for a while, without digging too deep into the past. And now for our plans. This wood will be searched, but I don't see how we are to get out of it before dark, as the roads are doubtless pretty well patrolled, or at least every farmer is on the lookout for suspicious strangers, so we might as well make the best of it here for the rest of the day. I think we're reasonably safe for the time being, if we keep Willie with us. Willie had been an interested auditor of all that passed between his captors. He was obviously terrified, but his terror did not prevent him from absorbing all that he heard, nor from planning how he might utilize the information. He saw not only one reward, but several, and a glorious publicity which far transcended the most sanguine of his former dreams. He saw his picture not only in the Oakdale Tribune, but in the newspapers of every city of the country. Assuming a stern and arrogant expression, or rather what he thought to be such, he posed mentally for the newspaper cameraman, and such is the power of association of ideas that he was presently strolling nonchalantly before a battery of motion picture machines. Gee, he murmured, won't the other fellers be sore? I suppose Pinkerton'll send for me about the first thing and offer me twenty-five dollars a week or maybe more'n that. Gall darn if I don't hold out for thirty. Gee! Words, thoughts even, failed him. As the others planned, they rather neglected Willie, and when they came to assisting Giaba in lowering her father into the grave and covering him over with earth, they quite forgot Willie entirely. It was the Oskaloosa kid who first thought of him. "'Where's the boy?' he cried suddenly. The others looked quickly about the clearing, but no Willie was to be seen. Bridge shook his head ruefully. "'We'll have to get out of this in a hurry now,' he said. "'That little defective will have the whole neighborhood on us in an hour.' "'Oh, what can we do?' cried the girl. "'They mustn't find us. I should rather die than be found here with—' She stopped abruptly, flushed scarlet, as the other three looked at her in silence, and then— "'I'm sorry,' she said. "'I don't know what I was saying. I'm so frightened. You have all been good to me. I tell you what we do.' It was Giava speaking in the masterful voice of one who has perfect confidence in his own powers. "'I know fine way out. This wood circle back south through swamp, mile, mile and a half. The road past squeebs and cases go right through it. I know path where I find myself. We only have to crossroad, that only danger. Then we reach little stream south of woods. Stream wind down through Payson. We all go gypsies. I got lot clothing in house. We all go gypsies, and when we reach Payson we no try hide. Just come out on street with Beppo. Make Beppo dance. No one think we try hide. Then come night we go way find more wood, and little lake other side Payson. I know place. We hide there long time. No one ever find us there. We tell two, three, four people in Payson we go Oakdale. They look Oakdale for us. If they won't find us, they no think look where we go. See? Oh, I can't go to Payson, exclaimed the other girl. Someone would be sure to recognize me. You come in house with me, Java assured her. I fix you so your own mother no know you. You men's come too. I give you what to wear like gypsy men's. We got lots things. My father, him steal many things from our people after they drive us out. He go back by nights and steal. The three followed her toward the little hovel, since there seemed no better plan than that which she had offered. Java and the other girl were in the lead, followed by Bridge and the boy. 
The latter turned to the man and placed a hand upon his arm. "'Why don't you leave us?' he asked. "'You have done nothing. No one is looking for you. Why don't you go your way and save yourself from suspicion?' Bridge did not reply. "'I believe,' the youth went on, "'that you are doing it for me. But why, I can't guess.' "'Maybe I am,' Bridge half acknowledged. "'You're a good little kid, but you need someone to look after you. It would be easier, though, if you'd tell me the truth about yourself, which you certainly haven't up to now.' "'Please don't ask me,' begged the boy. "'I can't. Honestly, I can't.' "'Is it as bad as that?' asked the man. "'Oh, it's worse,' cried the Oskaloosa kid. "'It's a thousand times worse. Don't make me tell you, for if I do tell you I shall have to leave you. And, and, oh, Bridge, I don't want to leave you, ever.' They had reached the door of the cabin now and were looking in past the girl who had halted there as Giava entered. Before them was a small room in which a large, vicious-looking brown bear was chained. "'Behold our ghost of last night!' exclaimed Bridge. "'By George, though, I'd as soon have hunted a real ghost in the dark as to have run into this fellow.' "'Did you know last night that it was a bear?' asked the kid. "'You told Java that you followed the footprints of herself and her bear, but you had not said anything about a bear to us.' "'I had an idea last night,' explained Bridge that the sounds were produced by some animal dragging a chain, but I couldn't prove it, and so I said nothing, and then this morning, while we were following the trail, I made up my mind that it was a bear. There were two facts which argued that such was the case. The first is that I don't believe in ghosts, and that even if I did I would not expect a ghost to leave footprints in the mud, and the other is that I knew that the footprints of a bear are strangely similar to those of the naked feet of a man. Then, when I saw the gypsy girl, I was sure that what we had heard last night was nothing more nor less than a trained bear. The dress and appearance of the dead man lent themselves to a furtherance of my belief, and the wisp of brown hair clutched in his fingers added still further proof. Within the room the bear was now straining at his collar and growling ferociously at the strangers. Java crossed the room, scolding him, and at the same time attempting to assure him that the newcomers were friends, but the wicked expression upon the beast's face gave no indication that he would ever accept them as aught but enemies. It was a breathless Willie who broke into his mother's kitchen, wide-eyed and gasping from the effects of excitement and a long, hard run. "'For land's sakes!' exclaimed Mrs. Case. "'Whatever in the world ails you?' "'I got em! I got em!' cried Willie, dashing for the telephone. "'For land's sakes! I should think you did have em!' retorted his mother as she trailed after him in the direction of the front hall. "'And whatever you got, you got em bad. Now you stop right where you are and tell me whatever you got. Tain't likely it's measles, for you'd head them three times, and whoopin' cough ain't them.' "'It's it's in Mrs. Case paused and gasped, horrified. "'For land's sakes, Willie Case, you come right out of this house this minute if you got anything in your head.' She made a grab for Willie's arm, but the boy dodged and reached the telephone. "'Shucks!' he cried. "'I ain't got nothing in my head.' Nor did either sense the unconscious humor of the statement. "'What I got is a gang of thieves and murderers, and I'm calling up that big city detective to come after them.' Mrs. Case sat into a chair, prostrated by the weight of her emotions, while Willie took down the receiver after ringing the bell to attract Central. Finally he obtained his connection, which was with Jonas Prim's bank, where Detective Burton was making his headquarters. 
Here he learned that Burton had not returned, but finally gave his message reluctantly to Jonas Prim, after exacting a promise from that gentleman that he would be personally responsible for the payment of the reward. What Willie Case told Jonas Prim had the latter in a machine with half a dozen deputy sheriffs and speeding southward from Oakdale inside of ten minutes. A short distance out from town they met Detective Burton with his two prisoners. After a hurried consultation, Dopey Charlie and the General were unloaded and started on the remainder of their journey afoot under guard of two of the deputies, while Burton's companions turned and followed the other car, Burton taking a seat beside Prim. He said that he could take us right to where Abigail is, Mr. Prim was explaining to Burton, and that this Oskaloosa kid is with her, and another man and a foreign-looking girl. He told a wild story about seeing them burying a dead man in the woods back of Squibb's place. I don't know how much to believe, or whether to believe any of it, but we can't afford not to run down every clue. I can't believe that my daughter is willfully consorting with such men. She always has been full of life and spirit, but she's got a clean mind, and her little escapades have always been entirely harmless at worst some sort of boyish prank. I simply won't believe it until I see it with my own eyes. If she's with them, she's being held by force. Burton made no reply. He was not a man to jump to conclusions. His success was largely due to the fact that he assumed nothing, but merely ran down each clue quickly, yet painstakingly, until he had a foundation of fact upon which to operate. His theory was that the simplest way is always the best way, and so he never befogged the main issue with any elaborate system of deductive reasoning based on guesswork. Burton never guessed. He assumed that it was his business to know, nor was he on any case long before he did know. He was employed now to find Abigail Prim. Each of the several crimes committed the previous night might or might not prove a clue to her whereabouts, but each must be run down in the process of elimination before Burton could feel safe in abandoning it. Already he had solved one of them to his satisfaction, and Dopey Charlie and the General were, all unknown to themselves, on the way to the gallows for the murder of old John Baggs. When Burton had found them simulating sleep behind the bushes beside the road, his observant eyes had noticed something that resembled a hurried cash. The excuse of a lost notebook had taken him back to investigate, and to find the loot of the bag's crime wrapped in a bloody rag and hastily buried in a shallow hole. When Burton and Jonas Prim arrived at the case farm, they were met by a new Willie. A puffed and important young man swaggered before them as he retold his tale and led them through the woods toward the spot where they were to bag their prey. The last hundred yards was made on hands and knees, but when the party arrived at the clearing there was no one in sight. Only the hovel stood mute and hollow-eyed before them. "'They must be inside,' whispered Willie to the detective. Burton passed a whispered word to his followers. Stealthily they crept through the underbrush until the cabin was surrounded, then at a signal from their leader they rose and advanced upon the structure. No evidence of life indicated their presence had been noted, and Burton came to the very door of the cabin unchallenged. The others saw him pause an instant upon the threshold and then pass in. They closed behind him. Three minutes later he emerged, shaking his head. 
"'There is no one here,' he announced. Willie Case was crestfallen. "'But they must be,' he pleaded. "'They must be. I saw them here just a little while back.' Burton turned and eyed the boy sternly. Willie quailed. "'I seen em he cried. "'Honest, I seen em They was here just a few minutes ago. Here's where they buried the dead man.' and he pointed to the little mound of earth near the center of the clearing. "'We'll see,' commented Burton tersely, and he sent two of his men back to the case farm for spades. When they returned, a few minutes' labor revealed that so much of Willie's story was true, for a quilt-wrapped corpse was presently unearthed and lying upon the ground beside its violated grave. Willie's stock rose once more to par." In an improvised litter they carried the dead man back to Case's farm, where they left him after notifying the coroner by telephone. Half of Burton's men were sent to the north side of the woods, and half to the road upon the south of the Squibbs farm. There they separated and formed a thin line of outposts about the entire area north of the road. If the quarry was within, it could not escape without being seen. In the meantime, Burton telephoned to Oakdale for reinforcements, as it would require fifty men at least to properly beat the tangled underbrush of the wood. In a clump of willows beside the little stream which winds through the town of Payson, a party of four halted on the outskirts of the town. There were two men, two young women, and a huge brown bear. The men and women were obviously gypsies, their clothing, their headdress, their barbaric ornamentation proclaimed the fact to whoever might pass. But no one passed. End of section 12